0: Um, it is a good day. We've got a baptism coming at the end of the day. I'm excited about that. Also, if you... Yeah, that is worth celebrating. Woo! All right, thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and we, uh, we also are in the book of Hebrews. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. We're actually beginning the text today. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up, and the ushers have one for you as well. I'd love for you to turn there with me. Uh, we, we had talked... Uh, uh, last week, we spent some time specifically talking about the background of this book and our understanding of who how we don't know who the author is and what we believe the author was trying to do. And so I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. We're not going to cover as much of that today or, or really much at all. But one aspect of what we're going to cover is what we believe specifically most scholars agree on what the author in this, in this, in this letter is trying to achieve, trying to do. And it's specifically trying to, to, to lay across a foundation for us to understand who Jesus Christ is and how he measures compared to everything else we know. We talked uh, pretty extensively last week about the different people groups, and, the, and the, specifically the Jewish um, people that, that Jesus was, or that this scripture was speaking to, and how most of them still were struggling. Even if they had accepted Jesus as the Messiah King, they were still at risk and kind of sliding themselves back into the religious system, because the Levitical um, priest system was still in place, the sacrificial system was still in place. There were things that were happening in this. And as we, as we get ready to go into this text, and before we do it, I, I kind of... Again, as we navigate through the book of Hebrews, realizing that most of us have little to no Jewish understanding or descent in that way, how does this specifically apply to us? And, and I can't help but think about, um, when it comes to Jesus Christ, our posture as, as, as today's church, as individuals, I think is at risk the same way that, that even these first century Jews were. See, and I say that meaning like, I, I wonder how many of us truly are like, enamored with Jesus Christ. I mean, like, most of us hear his name, and because of our upbringing, or because we spent a lot of time in the church, like, oh, yeah, Jesus, cool. Like, I mean, I hear about his birth this time of year, and what he did for us around Easter, and, and this is cool, and he's, he's great. And most of us kind of have this posture of, man, Jesus, he's my homeboy, right? He's, my, he's my, this is my friend. This is where it's at. But I just want to, real quickly, there's nowhere in Scripture that we're actually told we can call Jesus our friend. John 15, 15, J- Jesus speaking says, you're not a servant anymore, but you're my friend's. And we we know from other scripture that to be a friend of Jesus literally means to be submitted to his word and to be to him as Lord and King of our life. But nowhere do we operate with him as if he's our friend. And the reason why that's important is I think that most of us, we have this picture today of Jesus as a super accepting, loving, and and just nice, gentle person. And, And all of that's true. Jesus is loving and accepting And we even try and find ways to make Jesus more relevant. I would say that Jesus is relevant. We've seen his name be true for many, many years. But but the issue is if we just kind of stop there, I think we miss the entirety of what the author's trying to do in this book of Hebrews and and dare I say even what, what we're supposed to understand when it comes to the biblical truth of Jesus Christ. See, because Jesus is accepting and love, loving and relevant. But if we, we live there and we stay there as Jesus, he's, he's so forgiving, well then we just accept that we can just live this life that has no implications that Jesus is truly our Lord. If he's loving and forgiving and, and, and accepting, which he is, it's true, but if that's all he is, then we don't let the scriptures actually play a role and dictate how we live our life because we don't see him as our Lord, as our king. And that's what specifically the author does, just diving right in. We talked last week about how this doesn't even really read like a letter form. This just reads like a sermon. And the author, he comes out of the gate just hot. And so that's where we're going to dig in. And my hope is, is that not that I would create some kind of emotional response from you. and That's not my desire. My hope would be that, that as we dig into this, as we look at who Jesus Christ is, we wouldn't just hear his name as if it's an old hat that we're comfortable with, but doesn't have any real present-day implications in our life. That we wouldn't come to, to our understanding of who Jesus Christ is and say, okay, that's great, Jesus, you're awesome, and I love you, and it's cool what you did for me, but my life is, is gonna be lived this way, and when I need you, I'll, I'll pull you in, I'll pull you off the bench. My hope would be that you would, you would come to this scripture and that maybe some of you would be confronted with your lack of understanding of who Jesus is in your life, not just here intellectually, but, but in, in the everyday application of our lives. We talked last week about how this book is just thick in doctrine and theology, but it was not for intellectual sake alone. It was a, a book of exhortation. He, the author wants us to, to have this deep foundational understanding of who God is and who Jesus Christ is, and then see that play out in our day-to-day life. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to chapter 1, verse 1. Superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And so coming right out of the, the beginning is, is the, he's doing some legwork to help every single first century Jew understand what they've all understood and known, and how Jesus applies to that. He says, "Look, you have heard of God. You have, you have experienced God's communication through dreams and visions and prophets over a couple thousand years. you've seen this. You've experienced it from what we heard from our forefathers and Moses and what we heard from the minor prophets. And and all of this truth that you've experienced, you've seen God communicate to you. But I'm here to tell you now that God doesn't communicate in various ways like that anymore. Yes, he'll still speak to you through dreams and visions, but it's all centered around one person, Jesus Christ. And so when he says in the last days, most every single Jewish person that understood that as when the Messiah has come and and set on scene, those are the last days. The Messiah came, they, they, they heard about it, they, they heard the prophecies, they read the, the scriptures that, that spoke of the Messiah, and Jesus is the Messiah, which is what this author is trying to do. He's trying to tell you, look, Jesus is that Messiah. Which again, some of these, some of these readers would have said, yeah, we, we agree with that, but their, their life was starting to slip into that religious system because it was just so hard. They were starting to feel some persecution from other Jewish brothers and sisters and family and, and relatives, and they started falling themselves back into the religious system because it was just easier, it was less up upstream of a battle. And so he comes out and says, Look, God does speak to you. Because one of the one of the arguments in this day was that God stopped speaking. He spoke through the prophets, and we heard him speak through these these different people that he put in place, and they would come, and they would would translate dreams, and all these things happen, but he's not doing it anymore, and the author's saying, look, he's done it through Jesus Christ. No longer are you communicated to by thousands of years of difference, and and by, by all these different prophets. Now, I'm speaking to you through one, the Son, my Son, Jesus Christ, so what we need to know about the will of God and the character of God is seen and done in Jesus Christ. So when you and I today, how this works for us is when we, when we want to hear God, we want to know something of God's character, we have an image to look at. We have Jesus Christ to go to. And it's through him we see that. And as he, he makes this point, he kind of starts talking about these attributes, these characteristics of Jesus Christ and why he's kind of giving him his, like it's his resume. <laughs> Here's, here's why this works, and so he, he talks about how God's he's God's son. It's not just an angel, and we'll talk more about angels next week. But it's not it's not an angel. It's it's or a prophet. It's God's very own son. Verse two, we see that he's he's an heir to everything. He's an heir. He gets he gets everything of God's. It's it's, it's not like God withheld anything from Jesus. We see that he is the creator of ages. Danny talked about this a little bit through Colossians at the beginning of worship today. But Jesus, he actually created with God. It's not like he showed up as a baby and then was on the scene. He's like, oh, okay, 9.5 pound Jesus, you know, baby comes in and he's, he kind of works his way that way and lives his perfect life sinless and then gets sacrificed and that's it. He was before that and he's after that. He created. And then he, he talks about this this radiance, an exact imprint. And this is such a beautiful imagery that I think most of us miss. I missed it a million times reading through this. Radiance isn't just a reflection of God's glory. It's that he, he radiates God's glory. And then he says that he's, this, he's a perfect, an exact imprint of God. So when we look at Jesus Christ, he's not some distant being or powerful or prophet like some other religions want to do, but he's an exact imprint of God. And that's what we see here in the Scripture. Radiance is, 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 the best way to define this is, um, is a, uh, I've got to find it here in my notes. There we go. Radiance carries a sense of splendor or intense brightness. Uh, the, the two parts of the statement when he's saying radiance is talking about that you're seeing God's glory in this. Uh, Debbie, who's, who, who helps a lot with a lot of things around here, she had talked about how it's the idea that God is the sun and the radiating light from the sun is Jesus Christ. It's not that it's a reflection because he's not reflecting God's glory. He is God's glory. We see the glory of his immense beauty and majesty and power through the, ray of, through the radiance of Jesus Christ. And so here he's, he's laying out all these attributes of who Jesus is. He's who I speak to you through. He's the one that's heir of all things. He's God's radiance, and he's a perfect imprint of God. He's, he's trying to make this profound profound statement. In fact, I talked to you a little bit about this when we went through the book of Psalms, so hang with me for a second. We're going to geek out. There's a literary term that's it's called a chiasm, and we did the entire book of Psalm 119 through a chiastic structure, which essentially is, is talking about how there's, there's these different verses that happen and how each of them kind of work to the middle, making a point. So the first verse says something, and the last verse says something, but they're both working towards the middle. So the scholar put this up. I stole this. So this is not my work. We're going to throw it up here. But this is a potential chiastic structure that, that a few brilliant people believe these first four chapters talk about. And so we're going to say, so you see the, that, that in verse 1 and 2a, that the sun is contrasted with the prophets. Well, at the very, very bottom, the sun is contrasted with angels. And we see, so we see this contrast where, where God is saying, look, Jesus is greater than the prophets. And at the very end, Jesus is greater than the angels. Verse B, or the B right there, verse 2, is the son as messianic heir. Now, this is important because for every single first Jewish uh, uh, first century Jewish person, this is, the, this is the, the, the contingent hinging point. Is Jesus really true the Messiah? If he's, not, if he's not the Messiah, if he's not the heir in this place, then ultimately this is done with him, which is what the argument was happening around the Hebrews that this letter is written to. And then the opposite of that is the son as Messiah or Messianic King. This is important for us today. See, I think most of us would get to the spot of him being the Messianic heir as a savior of our life. But do we really find ourselves captivated, submitted to him as our king? This language is, we talked a little bit about this in our kingdom of God. This language is so archaic to us. Most of us don't think of kings. Like when we think of our president, it's like we can tweet and say whatever we want about him, right? Like it doesn't matter. It just depends on which side you, you, you land. In, in, in this day, when we talk about kings, you don't say anything bad about the king unless you're willing to have your life taken. King was not something that was like, the only way you could go against a king is if you had enough people to uprise in hopes to overturn that king. Otherwise, it was a lost cause. They they controlled the economics of your life. They controlled a lot of the social standards of your life. They literally controlled everything. And so with us today, is Jesus our savior? Is he our king? And how that plays out, guys, is in our individual lives, if we submit to Jesus as savior, if we say he's 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 our lord and he's our savior, if we do that, then what that means is that when we come to scriptures, when we come to his word, they're talking about him, and it's different than our life. We don't go, well, I know, I know what it says, but I just don't really care. That's operating with him as if he's not king because to them and to their understanding, they didn't, they didn't get a choice in it. So when we say that Jesus is our king, when we sing about him being our savior, for, for what it's worth, he can't actually be your savior and not your king. The scriptures never let us line it up that way. And so for us, how does God's word speak to us? How is, how is Jesus pushing on us as our king? How is, he, how is he pushing on you? What are the ways in which his scriptures are saying things to you that you, you recognize that if he was truly your king and not just a Savior, that you would actually submit yourselves to? Again, not perfectly. We're gonna struggle, but I, I don't wanna sound too general. If we were as enamored with Jesus as how all of this would have been received to any first century Jew, I'm pretty sure it wouldn't be as big of a battle for us. Most of us, we don't, we don't hear this stuff, but most of these, for them to hear that Jesus was the Messiah, like that's something they'd been waiting on their whole life. They don't have to wait anymore. It's here. The, the next thing, what does Jesus do? Well, he's the, he creates Everything was created with him. And then um, the other seat, that the son's redemptive work, that was such a big statement. And to most of us, we're like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Jesus died for me on the cross. Cool, thanks, Jesus, right? Like, we all, like, kind of have this moment of, of, yeah, it's neat. To them, what this meant was they didn't have to deal with the sacrificial system anymore that only reminded them over and over and over again their need for something to be sacrificed for their own sinfulness, See, we don't, we don't feel the weight of that. We don't feel the weight of, we haven't had to get up and, and, and take a, a spotless lamb or a, a perfect pigeon or as, as much as we can to go have its blood spilled so that our sin that we did that morning can be forgiven of. For the first introduced, wait, wait. You mean when the, the, the veil was torn At Jesus' death, that truly meant no longer that we have to let one person, the holy, holy person, stand in there and walk in one time a year and hope to atone for sin and tie a rope to him and pull him out in case he dies. Like, that's gone? And now I can approach the throne of God because of the blood of Jesus Christ? Guys, this would have been profoundly huge for them to hear. And what's sad to me is because of our culture, most of us were like, yeah, cool, Jesus died for me. In fact, we only get maybe a little bit emotional when we think about the physical brutality of how Jesus died for us. When the very thing that Jesus did on the cross for us was drank the wrath that you and I deserve for every single sinful choice we make. Guys, we should find ourselves enamored with Jesus Christ. This should be destroying us. And so what is, the, what is the, the, this chiastic, this potential chiastic structure doing? It's talking about verse 3, the Son's threefold mediatorial med- med- relationship to God. How the Son is both divinely God and mediator to God. We see that, that now because Jesus is not just a really good prophet or a really good guy. He is the perfect imprint of God. And he is the only way in which, through his redemptive work, you and I can stand before the Lord. He's, there's, there's no other way. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how hard you try. It doesn't matter how often you show up to church or how many of the spiritual disciplines you do. Apart from Christ, there is. No way to God. It's not even that you're closer than someone else. We need to do away with that metric altogether. Because that's exactly what the first century Jews were doing. Okay, it's, it's Jesus plus we like this religious system so that we can get appease these people so they'll just kind of let up the pressure on us right now. Modern day version, oh man, Jesus tells us to do what with alcohol? That's too hard. Wait, 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 I'm supposed to wait for sex before married? Like that's wait, That's ridiculous. That's way too hard. We take these simple, small, difficult things in our lives and we, we make them huge because we have a small view of who Jesus Christ is in our life. We've, we've dumbed him down to this really teeny little, like, oh, poor Jesus got beaten. Oh, poor Jesus, he, he had to, you know, he's, just the, he's the most loving and accepting person in the world. When, when the very same Jesus says, look, if you, you want to follow me, you have to die to yourself. Daily, not just once, not just at that camp when you were really excited about me. Not just that emotional high when you got all the kind of cool people around you. You have to die to me with with your finances today. You have to die to me with your spouse today, with your children. You literally have to die to me daily. So the author is doing this profoundly difficult thing right at the beginning where he's laying out this groundwork where the rest of the the book is is truly going to be talking about how much greater Jesus is than every other thing. Jesus is greater than the prophets. He is the, he's greater than all high priests. He's greater than every single thing out there. Jesus is greater. And my fear is for us today, he's almost greater than most things in our life. Maybe not intellectually, but how we practically live out our lives. Some of us, our spouses are so much greater than Jesus. Our kids, our jobs, our futures, everything else is more important to us than Jesus. Jesus at the end of the day, when you look at something like this, when you see what the, what the author's doing here, he's, he's making a really, really big point, guys. And I don't know if you've heard it from me yet, but that Jesus is truly greater than anything else you'll ever experience. And if we don't rest in that, if we don't acknowledge that, if we don't submit ourselves to that, as not only our Savior, but as our Lord, if we don't give ourselves to that, well, then we risk falling away into some religious system where we look the part and life seems somewhat easy, but we don't actually bring glory to the very thing that we were made to bring glory to. Jesus does what he does, not as an accident, but as a planned out, perfect way to bring you and I into relationship with God. I, I wanted to, to do some kind of dance or something up here to get us excited about Jesus Christ. But if, if I'm really honest, guys, Sometimes I'm disgusted by how not excited I am for him. And the, the truth is, is that we, we get so, so distracted, so misinformed. A lot of times we get so passionate about something other than Jesus. And we get to, we just we just, we miss the whole thing. There isn't anything you can give yourselves to that will bring hope forever. There isn't anything that you can give yourselves to that will bring peace in any situation. It doesn't matter how hard or how difficult it is. Jesus is our answer. And it may seem like a simple thing to say in church, oh, Jesus, let's talk about Jesus. But unfortunately, I think it's, it's slipped a lot of our minds. And it's not really something we talk about. And a lot of us spend a lot of our days going about the day not even really sure that Jesus is actually present. As we, as we dig into Hebrews, again, I, I pushed on you guys all year long about maturity. I God is God is about maturing you. He's not looking for just authenticity, but he's looking for taking your authenticity and maturing you into being more and more like who? Like Jesus Christ. As I'm going to push you, like I've already told you last week, if you missed it, I'm going to push you this year to risky faith. I'm going to push and push and push for you to take that maturity that God has done in your life and then apply that out. Live that out through the faith that he has given you through Jesus Christ. And for some of you, that means that, means that f- for the first time ever, you need to go, all right, Jesus, I'm in, I submit. I'm done, I'm done running from you. I'm done pretending I'm with you. Are we gonna, we're doing baptisms today. Every time we do a baptism, there's always someone that's like, I probably should have gotten wet. I'm, I'm betting there's someone here today that way that knows that they've been on the fence with Jesus Christ. They've been running back and forth. They've been in and out, in and out, when really at the end of the day, they've never really truly submitted to him as king as Lord, they love the idea of some insurance policy that keeps them out of some hell in some distant future. But never ever, wait, wait, you mean there's present day implications to this? You mean that there's gonna be a cost to this in my life? Yeah. He's gonna call you to live and look more like Jesus and not yourself. Which, if you want just the Cliff Notes version, is actually the way you were created to be. So it's the right way. So us fighting it is kind of silly. Because Jesus, who is our way to God, was a part of that creation. Danny shared at the beginning that Jesus actually knit, like, put the muscles together of the individuals that were hammering the nails into his hands on the cross. He was a part of our creation, and he still willingly walked, laid down his life so that we could be in a right standing with God. Guys, I, don't, I can't say it enough ways and hope that, you just, that the Spirit just, just wrecks your heart in a good way where you just realize, man, I have, I have limited Jesus in my life. I have made my life about me. I've, I've put myself on the throne of my life, and I need to get out from underneath this. It's a weight you can't sustain or hold. The, the band's going to come up, and we're going we're gonna to sing some more. We're going to worship. But as we do that, I want to I just challenge a few of you with a, a couple things. As we talk about Jesus Christ, which most I'm assuming most of us in here have heard something about him, as we sit here and talk about Jesus and we sit here and think about what does this mean for our lives, can, can you just do me this favor? Let's, just, let's, just, let's begin this, this time of, of singing of worship assuming that maybe we have missed an aspect of it. I'm not saying that we all have, but assuming that maybe there's just an area of our life that Jesus hasn't become king of. Maybe it's just it's something simple. Some of you right now, you know right away, it's like, oh man, I have been faking it here and I, I don't know how to get there. Then I want to encourage you to do a few things. I want to encourage you to Repent. It's not, it's not necessarily a popular thing to do all the time, but, but I want to encourage you to repent. If you, if you realize, like, I am in sin and I have, I have not given this aspect to God, I have not submitted this portion of my life to Jesus as the, the Messiah King, I want to repent of that. And I would encourage you maybe it's someone you came with, maybe there's someone here you know, you can pray with them. Spend some time praying and not just worry about the music. Music can be on the background. Some of you, you just need to be silent. You just need to let God speak to you in ways that he never has before because you've always been drowning him out with so much other noise. Some of you just need to to sit and say, Lord, where am I not making a big enough deal of Jesus? Where have I continually allowed myself to make something more important than him? And some of you, you need to stand up and, I mean, just belt it out. You're like, man, Jesus is Messiah. Like Even as Brennan was talking, I don't even know what he was saying, but the Holy Spirit was just like stirring me. And I'm just jacked because I love Jesus. And you just need to sing at the top of your lungs completely off key and not care about anyone else around you. Go for it. But some of you here, some of you, you're still on the fence. You keep being really close. You think if I could just kind of stand around the water, <laughs> to use the analogies here, maybe dip my finger in, in a little bit, test the, the, the temperature. I'm close, so most people would assume that I'm, I'm really getting this idea who Jesus is, but you've never truly jumped in. You've never stepped, I'm not gonna do that for the visual aid, just so you guys know, okay? <clears throat> but you've never truly stepped in. You've never submitted yourself. You've never, you've never allowed yourself to be buried in the likeness of Christ's death, only to be resurrected with him and walking new and whole. And some of you, that's, that's you. Whether you get wet or not today, that's you. You know that you've been hiding and hiding. Some of you, you've been hiding behind an addiction or a struggle it, just stop. My, my one request for all of us is that if, if, if nothing else, if nothing else, do, do yourself this one favor. Do, do this community one favor. Do, do all of us one favor. Just don't pretend. You're really not fooling anyone but yourself. And if you fool someone else, it's just a matter of time. just a matter of time before they find you out. But don't, don't pretend. Don't go through the motions. Let Jesus be who he rightfully is, king and messiah of your life. Let him be greater than anything else out there. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for, thank you for Jesus. God, we, we so often get so quickly distracted by anything and everything. Forgive us for allowing Jesus to become second, third, fourth, fifth, or even just off our list. God, I pray that that every single one of us in here today, no matter where we are in our journey, that we would find ourselves um, enamored with your son, Jesus Christ. We would truly try and desire and and, and give everything of ourselves to bring glory to him like you command us to do. Father, I pray that, that there isn't a single aspect of any of our lives that isn't inundated with the truth of Jesus Christ. I pray that there isn't anything that anyone sees in any marriage here other than Jesus and the church. I pray that there isn't anything that we do with our money that doesn't show anything of of the fact that our treasure is truly with Jesus in heaven. God, I pray that there isn't any relationship, whether it's boyfriend, girlfriend, marriage, or dating, or friend, any relationship that gets in the way of who you are, Jesus. And God, for, for the individuals in here that really like the idea of you but just have a, a hard time submitting themselves to you, God, I just pray like I always do. I pray that you'd wreak havoc on their hearts. I pray that you'd just destroy them, break down their pride, help them recognize that every other thing that they're holding on to is going to leave them with left wanting. And God, for, for the individuals in here that, that are facing a rough truth right now, where they recognize that they say they've been submitted to you, but there are so many areas of their life that just have not submitted to you. God, I pray that you'd remind them of your your grace that is sufficient. I pray that you'd remind them that you have more than enough grace for them, wherever they are. And God, for 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 everyone here, I pray, God, I pray that we would never be complacent with you. And I pray that when we when when we celebrate your birth, we actually celebrate like we would if a friend or family just had their first child. With ridiculous excitement about the fact that Jesus has come. But God, more so than that, I pray that we would celebrate the fact that you didn't just come, but you reign. You reign as king. You have defeated the darkness that we are so so inundated with in this world. You have defeated the pain that we continue to feel. God, I pray, I pray that I pray that we fall madly in love with you not just some emotional love but a love that that lines ourselves up where every single aspect is submitted to bring more and more glory to you Lord I pray like John the Baptist that we must decrease, and that you would increase Lord I pray all this in Jesus name